Welcome to the Adamantium Podcast. Episode number 50. Welcome back, Adam Antimaniacs. I am your host, Adam R. Harrison. And wow, 50 episodes, guys. Pretty awesome stuff. And the 50th episode falling on Easter Monday. Coincidence? I think probably. But I hope that you guys had a beautiful Easter or Passover long weekend. And that being said, I have a very serious bone to pick with Cadbury. Because I don't know if you've noticed, but the price of mini eggs has increased more than the price of gasoline here in Toronto. It's like they've become some kind of rare commodity, and which, you know, Economics 101 taught me that this doesn't make sense because I've heard mini eggs now are now available all year round, so therefore the demand at Easter time should be decreasing and the price should not be increasing anymore, all right? So Cadbury, get your act together. Cut us some slack on these mini eggs, bro. Rant over. Anyways... 50 episodes, guys. Pretty awesome stuff. I worked out in my head last night that it's been about 71 weeks since we launched the podcast. So 50 episodes in 71 weeks is pretty awesome, uh, especially considering like the last eight months we've been consistent at like an episode a week. Some weeks, even more than one episode, other than, you know, if I was away traveling or uh, over the Christmas break. Point being, uh, I just have to take a moment to thank you guys again for tuning in and listening. Obviously, I wouldn't keep getting great guests if nobody was listening. So thank you guys very, very much. It's much appreciated. And keep tuning in. Tell your friends. And let's uh, keep this train rolling. So speaking of amazing guests, we've got a very special episode for our 50th episode. We've got Canadian alternative artist Biff Naked on the podcast. And, oh, man, where do I even start with Beth? Um, Beth being Biff Naked. I always find it incredible when, you know, uh, you know, we see someone portrayed a certain way on TV or whatever. You know, Biff Naked being this alternative artist, she's she's heavily tattooed. She's this punk rocker, um, but she is just the sweetest, warm-hearted, warm. What is that even a word? Warm-hearted person. And she's just so nice. We had such a fun time recording this podcast. I went to Beth's condo here in Toronto, and we hung out. There, she gave me vegan cookies and chocolate almond milk. It was, it was amazing. And her place, as soon as I walked in, uh, I felt like I was in a hard rock cafe. It was so cool. Her husband, Snake, is like a diehard Kiss fan. And they had probably like a dozen guitars hanging on the walls, Kiss paraphernalia everywhere, Kiss pinball machine. They had a den in the, in the unit, which if you live in Toronto, you know that like, you know, space... <laughs> Any kind of space is very valuable, and they had a whole den dedicated to KISS paraphernalia. Um, and, and it expanded into the other rooms. But in the den had a KISS pinball machine and action figures, everything, everything. It was so cool. Uh, I got to nerd out with them. It was awesome. So needless to say, I'm very excited to share this conversation I had with Biff Naked with all y'all. So let's do an adamantium recommend section for this podcast. Maybe if you grew up in a later generation than I did. You might not be as familiar with Biff's music, so here are five songs that I would recommend you check out, either before or after the interview. So the first song I'm gonna recommend, of course, is I Love Myself Today. 
such a cool song. It's kind of like an anthem to us much music era listeners. The second song I'm going to recommend is Spaceman. And then the next three songs, I'm kind of partial to Biff Naked's album Super Beautiful Monster because that's kind of like a, you hear in the interview, it's kind of what I envision in my head when I think of Biff Naked. So I've got a few songs from that. The first is one called Let Down. The second is called Every Day. And then the third actually is a cover of Metallica's Nothing Else Matters, which is Biff does an incredible, incredible job. And that is that. So if you are listening to this podcast on iTunes or Apple Podcasts, please do hit that subscribe button. We will be forever grateful. And if you can leave us a rating and a comment, that is also very, very helpful. Uh, You can now listen to the Adamantium podcast on Spotify, Google Play Music, Stitcher, anywhere pretty much you listen to your podcast. We are also available on social media. Of course, you can find us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, and you can find us actually just by searching The Adamantium. So, shall I introduce you all to Biff Naked? I think I shall. Right here on episode number 50 of The Adamantium Podcast on a beautiful Easter Monday. Have a great week, everyone, and God bless. We're here with Biff Naked. Hello. <laughs> Thank you again very much for having me at your place. I feel like I'm in a, a hard rock cafe a little oh, bit. Oh, good. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's nice of you to come on a rainy day. Yeah, it's very cool. I love it in here. I want my place to look like this. So Awesome. Yeah. That's good to know. Yeah, lots of <laughs> Kiss paraphernalia, guitars, and yeah, it's very cool. I love it. Next time, we'll have you at my place. I also have lots of nerdy, geeky music oh, stuff cool. around. So, yeah. Oh, cool. I love it. Yeah, there's a lot of my concert photos. Oh, very nice. Yeah, yeah. yeah I would love to so, see that. Very cool, very cool. Um, when I was thinking about uh, how, because one thing that I find very cool about you is even outside of music, you have so many interests. And there's even some when we were talking, when I got here, I didn't know that you, you know, you do mountain biking and stuff as well, or BMX biking. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's lots of I want to talk to you about. I was like, I don't even know how to start this because there's so much to talk about. Um, but I was trying to think of my first memories of your music oh yes and so first of course what what came to mind was uh coming home from school mm-hmm. and turning on much music that's how when i was yeah. in, in high school that's how i learned found new music same here right yeah. yes so i would turn on i would have much music on in the background while i was doing my homework amazing and uh so that's that was my first memory of Biff Naked. And I think when I was thinking about it more than of kind of what much, cause much music at that time represented more than a TV station. Oh yeah. It yes. was like Canadian music and Absolutely. how, and, and the people who watched it. So I kind of wanted to ask you, why do you think, if you think of like much music and Canadian music and you made a list of maybe the 10 artists that represent kind of that era, I would put Biff Naked for sure on that list. That's very nice. Now, I'm not just saying that. That's I'm not just saying nice. that. I would, you know, I'd put, you know, Snow on there, Prozac, yeah, you know, definitely. other Canadian. Or, mm-hmm. And so I wanted to think, what do you think made you kind of symbolic of that era of music? Uh, what was symbolic for me? Yeah. Well, you know, honestly, with with uh, TV channels like Much Music, it was mm-hmm. a different time in broadcasting, mm-hmm. and it was almost like uh, you know a serendipitous era. Mm-hmm. Um, 
We can remember Dan Gallagher. We can remember Master T. Even George uh, Strombolopoulos when he was very young. Mm -hmm. You know, I remember being interviewed for the radio station in a trailer by him. Um, You know, it was just, uh, yeah, we associated it with the hosts a lot. Okay. Uh, But for me, like... A lot of hip-hop I was introduced to through much music. Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously, there was a huge scene in Toronto that didn't exist on video right. in Winnipeg, where I was growing up. Um, but, you know, later on, I would discover artists like Mishi Me, and then mm-hmm. when she was in Ragadeth, uh, you know, it blew my mind. And then I got to include them on one of my tours, mm-hmm. and I never would have discovered them were it not for that particular television station Mm -hmm. much music was incredible it was well i completely symbolize it with music in canada in the late 90s early 2000s yes definitely um and when i whenever i people ask me about my musical tastes i say my musical taste came from big shiny tunes yes tony hawk video games and cameron crow movies that's That's so funny yeah Yeah. big shiny tunes big shiny tunes and big shiny tunes too everybody owned yeah you can still find them at like sonic boom and stuff if you if you absolutely but what do you think made you like an artist that kind of fits so well into that I think possibly I was just lucky, okay. and that's really the truth. I think there were a lot of girls uh, that I knew of that were doing uh, kind of like pop punk, mm-hmm. you know, music. It was uh, a, a bit. It was a sign of the times in a way, mm-hmm. um, and so you know, our stuff was starting to come out. Right around the same time as um, No Doubt. I was going to say Gwen's Gwen You know, Stefani. but it was, their stuff was very similar. It was very Southern California version, yeah. but they were a little more ska for sure. Mm-hmm. But everyone was kind of doing that same kind of thing. All the girls were in half tops or bikini tops, depending on, you know, how hardcore the band was. Um, but it was, uh, it was pre-grunge, yeah. you know, and then when grunge happened in the Pacific Northwest, everyone was wearing like, you know, little baby girl barrettes and baby doll dresses and smeared makeup. And it was kind of like that, uh, you know, almost hypersexualized little girl right. look and, and the whole riot girl thing happened, mm-hmm. uh, which was really interesting, you know, as a, almost a post-feminist movement in music um and and it was just really i don't think it had been seen before meanwhile while that was happening on the west coast you know in new york and uh and boston and philadelphia places like that the chicks were way tougher Mm -hmm. uh you know the luna chicks were uh, coming out of that area and it was just you know the new york scene was so different it was a lot uh it was edgier it was tougher um, and Why do you think just, that is? I think that's always probably in been the, case, the way it is, yeah. East Coast, West Coast. Even us now, even in my personal life, mm-hmm. moving here is so different than uh, living in Vancouver. You know, when you look at stereotypes of yeah. city societies, they're all kind of true mm-hmm. in many ways. Like, people always compare well, the reason those stereotypes Vancouver come to, to yeah. L.A., and it's like, yeah, there's a lot of wealthy people that live in the core of the city, um, like any city, I suppose, but Vancouver really is a lot of, 
you know, nature walkers and mm-hmm. yoga and, you know, skiing and then going surfing. and A lot more laid back. And, yeah, yeah, very much so. We kind of, you know, used to think everyone was just like easy breezy on pot all the time because right. it was the west coast it was yeah. just different um and i still think you know as far as that uh laid back kind of mm-hmm. uh, relaxed culture goes it, it really seems to ring true so were you were you still in winnipeg when you started your musical career or had you um, moved already i was in winnipeg i was in my first year of university and i joined a band called gorilla gorilla who needed a singer okay and i didn't want to be in music i was in ballet for 13 years right uh really thought i would be a choreographer or i thought i would go into acting okay i was studying theater in in uh, university of winnipeg and that was really all i was interested mm-hmm. in never tried singing didn't care um, and join this band because you know the guy I liked with the mohawk was the drummer. Okay. And literally so that was how. Yeah. And, okay. Uh, one of our first shows was opening for DOA. Oh wow. And that was it. I was hooked yeah. on performing in this band, uh, where you know we would play with these other bands who were my heroes. They were all really political. Yeah. And, and they were activists and they were into social justice like I was. And they were, it was just really like, it was like being reborn. Yeah. And, um, and then I toured with Gorilla Gorilla for a little while. We moved to Vancouver as a band and I got into another band that was mm-hmm. a little more, you know, at the times were changing, grunge was happening. And so I, I got into this thrash band. We started going up and down the coast of California and, that introduction happened, and we were playing with bands like Sublime and the Screaming Trees, and it was just shifting. Um, me being a solo artist was, again, kind of an accident okay. just because I was offered to write songs with a producer who had a label. Okay. And so in 1994, that's what we did. Wow. And it was just, that's just kind of how it happened. Wow. That's unbelievable. And so it's a lot of it was kind of, I mean, and that's much of life. A lot of it's by, by chance. That's being right. The right place, the right time. Absolutely. Wow. That's, uh, that's pretty incredible. Um, so what were some of the bands then that maybe you were, if you were saying you kind of got, you kind of just stumbled into the, the, the punk scene. Were oh, you yeah. listening to that kind of music already? Or well, I was to a point. I mean, you know, like every other self-respecting girl in, uh, in grade 8, I was listening to Madonna. Okay. And uh, a lot of my friends were into ska and punk and mod mm-hmm. music. Quadrophenia movie was an obsession in my uh, collegiate where right. I went to high school. Um, and there was a real separation between the rockers and the and the mods. There weren't a lot of punks in my school. They were mods, mm-hmm. and they all looked like you know good Mormon kids. They were right. just very you know proper British way that they dressed. They had Vespas, and uh, and the rocker guys were all stoners. Mm-hmm. You know, and in Winnipeg that meant hash. Okay, you know, it was just like it's so funny to me now. Um, but Metallica was happening. Okay, and uh, you know from discovering Metallica, you discover. Megadeth right. and Anthrax and then you know that kind of led into suicidal tendencies and then mm-hmm. that was like hey what's this and you become curious and learn uh, the first show that I went to that was really altered me a bit was DRI okay and I was just like what is this what is these guys are kind of like punks but they're kind of like skateboarders and it's kind of thrashy and then it was just like yeah learning about Black Flag and Ian McKay and mm-hmm. Minor Threat and it was just and I loved every kind of music. It was also the beginning of hip hop. Right. You know, and we got into like 
Grandmaster Funk and Rob Bass, and it was just like it was such a great time in music. Maybe yeah. now is too, and I just don't know because I love where I come from. Yeah. But um, I always loved every kind of music. Did you have a, like a hip hop influence when you were writing music too, or was that more? I think on my first just, record okay. for sure because uh, I was kind of just given carte blanche. Right. Uh, so there's a track on my first record called Succulent. Okay. Uh, that is a little bit more funky, and there was. Uh, you know, there's a metal song called Make Like a Tree. and there's So a, you were pulling from everywhere at the time. Yeah, whatever and it was, at the time, it was a, a bit of a detriment mm-hmm. because the distributor, A&M Records, in Canada, once uh, the indie label Plum Records folded, A&M Records didn't want to pick up the CD because they were like, yeah, we really don't know what to do with this girl. Mm-hmm. You know, she's got these tattoos and... There's no style. It's all over the map stylistically. Mm-hmm. You know, she really needs to pick one. Yeah. And I always said, no, actually, I probably don't need to pick anything because every kid I hang out with listens to everything. everything. Yeah. You know, we started listening to 24-7 Spies, mm-hmm. who are, you know, the Beastie Boys. It was like everything was okay. Yeah. And, and that was uh, probably the first time in history that that had really happened for the world of music fans, you know? Yeah. Um, alternative music happened. Gene's Addiction happened. Like, right. These things were all, like, kind of groundbreaking. Mm-hmm. And, and by the time grunge was happening, I think maybe for us it might have been more prominent because right. we were living in British Columbia. So that whole area was, like, I mean, really, all the stereotypes, the flannel shirts, mm-hmm. the heroin overdoses, you know, the yeah. like the whole thing. And it was, uh, it was a fantastic time to... Yeah kind of cut your teeth in a band yeah well it's funny too because I always hated that like uh you know you got to be into one you know one yes. thing you got to pigeonhole yourself into yeah, one it's audience limiting. right and if you even look at uh like skater punks from that time mm-hmm. skater punks had their punk music but they were also very into a certain type of hip-hop as yes, well definitely and um so I never thought I always thought that it was kind of weird why you have to even we it was we were talking about Kiss I mean mm-hmm. like they had a, a disco era on yes, whatever they, they were feeling yeah. at the time yeah. you know what I mean like yeah. they, well, they took the makeup off too at one point right they adapt to mm-hmm. what's you know what maybe is their feeling or that's right yeah yeah it's interesting so when you write music now mm-hmm. how 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 have you adapted over this period of more than 20 years like mm-hmm. how, when you wrote music 20 years ago compared to now it's got I'm sure it's very different it so. is and it isn't okay you know like the for me my job was always the lyrics okay and uh, the melody you okay. know I never played an instrument but surely I'm sure the subject matter has changed it has a lot for me everything's been said yeah you know okay. just like you think you can't write one more song about you know, the guy who broke your heart in grade right. 10 or wherever you mine yeah. your emotions from. Yeah, you can. You always can. You yeah. can find a new way to say the same things. Ultimately, you're describing a heartache or you're describing yearning. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I would. I, ha- I had a sh- song called Tango Shoes, for example. You know, that was kind of quirky. You know, a quirky subject matter. Um, and that was important to me because it kept it different. Even though it was a song about empowering yourself and getting out of something bad, it still was quirky. And then I love myself today. Same mm-hmm. thing. It's a song about getting out of something out of bad, fun, yeah. empowering yourself. And now, um, even for our new record, um, you know, we we have a song about, you know, yearning that 
includes me breaking into someone's car, you okay. know, and that's the whole gist of the song. There's another song uh, about an imaginary guy named Jim. Okay. You know, where, you know, I want him to jump off a bridge. Um, it's just, it's just anything quirky. I always okay. like to try and incorporate and that has never changed. Okay. You just last year, you just released a new single. Yes, we yeah. did. Yeah. So yeah. tell me about that single. Uh, so last year we did a tour as a side project called Snake in the Chain. Okay. And Snake in the Chain, um, had a few songs, uh, that we wanted to play on the tour. And, um, one of them was this song called Heavy which we made a video for mm-hmm. and released as a single. And then uh, eventually we put it into the Biff Naked set because we just got so many right. requests for it. And uh, it's it's definitely got a lot of elements in it that include sitar mm-hmm. and include kind of a, rhythmic, a really rhythmic uh, guitar sound. Uh, there was a song... Um, that we're doing for the new record, the, it's the same thing. The uh, it's very percussive, yeah. And, and I love those kind of grooves. Um, moving forward, I think that the new record we've made, personally, I feel like it's better than all my records combined. Really? Okay. Yeah. Okay. So when so you are working on something new at the moment? Yeah, we're okay. in mix. Yeah. Do we know? Yeah. Roughly when? Or I don't. No. And now things have changed so much with you formats. I mean, right. you look at Drake and, and those OVO cats, they just drop a single. A single, and that's it. Yeah. You know, it's a different warning. Well, now it's all about streams, right? And so. that's just such a different yeah. thing because, you know, before you could kind of anticipate. It was mm-hmm. almost like getting ready for a baby. Right. You know, you put, you sent out the announcements mm-hmm. and people got to, like, count the weeks. And right. there was, you know, now it kind of is... It's very loose. The charts have changed. Yeah, completely. it's loose. And Nobody really, you know. I guess you know we would all anticipate, oh, the new Radiohead, you know, and maybe that would right. be like. But again, if they just drop something, which is also what they've done in the past, people also clamor for it mm-hmm. with the same. Fever. Well, it's interesting. I asked. I asked um, Alan Cross this question mm, because mm-hmm. I was so curious. I was like, you know. I go to rock concerts mm-hmm. and they're full. You know, it's packed house. Right. Rock and roll is still very much mm-hmm. prevalent. Yes. Um, why are rock songs never in the top forty? That's you know, right. why is it all? And he said it's all because of streams and because like uh, hip hop artists are more likely to drop singles. Yes. Um, and yes. even now we're we're going that way too. Bands are releasing a single before That's right. you know or absolutely. And so they're getting lots of streams already. And right. he said the other thing is that. Rock and roll fans are still more old school. Mm-hmm. Like they still like to buy records. They That's still right. even we're like kind of like a step behind. And I'm the same way. I still same. use iTunes. Yeah, like, same here. Which is, you know, past CDs and too, stuff. But it's terrible. like I, I want that feeling of ownership That's of right. it. You know, like if yeah. you just subscribe to a streaming service, as soon as you stop streaming, you lost your whole library. That's right. Right. So yeah. That's why I like I've always been a holding on and he said that's that's why mm-hmm. it's because we're more old school we want that ownership yeah, of the music I whereas so. kids now are like i guess in in hip-hop or dance or whatever mm-hmm. they're fine with having a single and streaming it and that's, and that's right. why they're at the top because they're getting the most streams so absolutely yeah and radio is still even though people say radio is dead it's not really dead because no. people still listen to radio yeah and there's only like four or five rock stations mm-hmm. in canada yeah now yeah. Uh, everything else that's rock is classic rock. Mm-hmm. The Foo Fighters are now 
on classic, classic I know. rock. I know, it's crazy. Eh? So it's like, you know, for, for an artist like myself to try and get a single out on, you know, new rock radio, mm-hmm. often they're simply just going to go ahead and play I Love Myself today right? instead of a new single. Because yeah. really they know that they're still going to get more phones on that song. Right. So it is daunting it in that is. way. It is, yeah. And like you said, people just drop singles. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, it, so for us to release a new record, you know, there's there's part of a school of thought that thinks, well, it will behoove us just to release an EP and then release the EP, you know, kind of enshrouded in the record six months later mm-hmm. or whatever the case. And um, I don't know. So I think but for sure... By summer, think, we're going to have a single yeah. happening, and then in the fall, for But sure, I think, right? too, like, Biff Naked fans, for sure, like, rock and roll always have the live scene, I think. Yes, I do And think, yeah. so that, I think that's always the, the best place for they're going to play their new music. And, yes. And people want to hear the new music. Yeah, definitely. And even, even in Toronto, like, as much as other maybe genres might own the charts and stuff, I still think rock and roll owns the live market. Yes. Because if you look, if you look at a venue... You look at the list of who's playing or whatever. Eighty percent right. are rock and roll acts or Absolutely. bands, you know. But now I think they tour more because that's how they make their. And that's living. how they make their money now. That's they have the to. Only way. They don't make money. That's on their, right. No. That's the only way to make no. money. I remember actually listening to an interview with Gene Simmons, mm. and that his daughter is a a musician now, right? And she released a single, mm-hmm. and it had several thousand streams or whatever, mm-hmm. and she made like no money off That's of it. Right. And he says it's not, you know, it's not how it should be, right? But yeah, yeah, it's yeah, how it's, it is. It is, it is, it is how yeah. it is. And I mean, I don't know where it goes next, but <laughs> yeah, well, the you good never thing do. about it is it's still really rewarding and fun and exciting to play, mm-hmm. and that is something that for me. Uh-huh. I keep thinking some year I'm not going to really be into it anymore. Right. And granted, there were, you know, uh, a couple of years where I was doing cancer treatment, even though we recorded during that time because I literally had nothing better to do. Um, touring afterward felt really contrived mm-hmm. to me because probably because I wasn't really feeling great. Right. So I did an acoustic record. Okay. Because I felt like that so was, that's a, we were feeling at it the was time. a better fit for me. I thought right. that makes sense. Maybe I felt vulnerable or maybe I, you know, didn't feel the same. Um, but I did that for a couple of years instead. And now I still do acoustic shows, but what we do is a book reading. Yeah. And then do wrap it in Do you think going show. through that part of your life kind of progressed you as an artist in a way? Um, I I don't know, to be honest with you. It's hard to if think things about. Had so. stay, if I had never uh, wound up having to sit my butt at home and do cancer right. treatment, I would have probably stayed on the trajectory that I was, mm-hmm. which was uh, a workaholic. Yeah. I toured, I did 300 shows a year, every year, wow. for 15 years. Yeah. You know, I never saw my dogs. I had yeah. no healthy relationships. Mm-hmm. Um, it was just, it was always just on the run, on the go. Mm-hmm. On the, it's all I knew. And so having cancer forced me to sit down and uh, and stop, like the crazy train. And in that regard, it was really good for me. But the best part about it was that I started volunteering uh, with other patients, and okay. I still do peer to peer. Oh wow! Volunteering, okay. and that opened up my world into a passion of mine, which is 
healthcare and public right. healthcare and hospital administration and like really like dumb mm-hmm. academic shit that I never would have even had the opportunity to explore had I, I think, not been in treatment. I read somewhere that you recently got a diploma. Or oh like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Was that was that, that related was, to that or? No, that was actually a doctorate in arts and letters, which okay. is for my writing, and that was uh, from the University of the wow, Fraser Valley. Okay. Yeah, that was fun, and my dad was still alive at the time, so it was you know he he was a dentist. Okay. And he always him and my mother always harassed me. Why can't you just go back to university? Why yeah. can't you finish your studies? Why can't you make us proud? And it was like. I'm on the Tonight uh, yeah. Show. Yeah. Is it okay? Yeah, I mean, but I really want you to go back to school. And so it was like the one thing that my dad was really proud of. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's so cool. it was neat. Yeah, that is cool. And I noticed that you also do a lot of uh, kind of human rights and animal rights and anti-poverty work. And I try. Did, I think I can do more. Okay. Well, I, I mean, think anyone who gets into yeah. that always feels like they can do oh, more. Oh, yeah. I like, think that I need to be... like It's hard to be there physically when you travel yes. for your job. Um, but my parents were both uh, activists. Oh, okay. And um, they were... They had been activists since... Yeah, since they were in college themselves. Yeah. And so for my dad, who's who, even though he was a dentist, his master's was in public health. Mm-hmm. Um, they were socialists, yeah. ultimately. And I think that they instilled that in us. We had to watch Gandhi, the movie, every yeah. Christmas yeah. since I was Isn't a that child. Like a four-hour movie, too. Yes, <laughs> and uh, and that's really where they got their um, inspiration from. You know, it was really that type of um, activism and those type of you know uh, ideologies. Mm-hmm. You know, the kind of Gandhi-esque way of being, and it was definitely rubbed off on me. Yeah. I can't speak for my other sisters exactly, but I know my younger sister for sure has the social activism Mm -hmm. bug as well. I think, too, like once you do have that bug, Mm -hmm. it comes with, and it's unfortunate, but it's also driving, it comes with that kind of uh, level of like guilt where you feel like you should always be doing more. Oh, and there's so much more you can do. And for us to move from Vancouver to Ontario Mm -hmm. last year, the first thing we did was register to vote. Yeah. And then that happened like about a month after we moved here. And then Doug Ford was elected. Mm, Yeah. Um, I bet you were thrilled about moving at that point. (laughs) So we were like, you know, oh my God, like, what do we do? Yeah. You know, and it was, so living here has been a kind of a crash course mm-hmm. in the different, um, uh, political dynamics that very go on well, in the city. very different from East and, and West Coast. So different. Yeah. And, and the issues are very different. And, uh, the collective consciousness of the city mm-hmm. is different than Vancouver. Mm-hmm. I think people's, um, priorities are different. I think that, that, you know, like for example, Living in Vancouver, I never thought a lot about safety, okay. like just traffic safety. Mm-hmm. And moving here, it has been on my brain every single day. Mm-hmm. And uh, because it's a lawless yeah. society on the roads. Yeah. Like, no offense, Toronto. No, but no, it no. Is we all know fucked it. Fucked up. And so I didn't understand, like, I don't understand how that's possible. And then someone explained to me one of the election issues about two elections ago Mm -hmm. was to eliminate photo radar for one thing and to eliminate all these other programs. And I was like, they voted just based on the fact that they didn't want photo radar. And that individual, whether they were correct or not, uh, was trying to explain to me that it was 
it was an issue for yeah. people. And I just was, I couldn't believe it. And so, yeah, that's something that I'm interested in here that yeah. I was never interested well, in. Well, the, like the aggressive driving here. It's and remarkable. It's, yeah, it's been a real, a real issue. I can't and believe for, it, actually. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's very yeah. unsafe. And it's probably just the hustle and bustle of feeling <laughs> yeah. you have to be somewhere as quick as possible. And, yeah, everybody but. speeds. And there's, uh, I just, yeah, it's, it's just interesting. And the relationship that the, the people have with their law enforcement is different here than it is mm-hmm. in Vancouver. Okay. And just, it's just so, like, I have just such a, a huge interest in it. Yeah. So it's been a learning curve. I know one thing that is, uh, or maybe it was, I don't know if it still is, a mm. big issue at West was was homelessness. Is that oh, what yes. made you uh, kind of be interested in, in, like, anti-poverty activism? Well, that was really just because I met people who were activists okay. Okay. And, and really became educated mm-hmm. by their work, and their work informed me. Um, um, there's a city councilor out there named Gene Swanson uh, who's been working as an activist for, I mean, I don't know, over 50 years. Mm-hmm. And uh, she has this really groundbreaking book. At the time, it was groundbreaking uh, called Poor Bashing. Okay. And it's so uh, interesting and, and so true. Uh, the poor are blamed for being, being poor. poor. Yeah. And so that, you know, really opened up my brain and I went, wow, how do we bring this into people's awareness? How do mm-hmm. we, you know, how do we help people? You know, ultimately, it, it, the bottom line is how can we help people? To, uh, it doesn't matter to help themselves or to, it right. who cares? The bottom line is we have to help each mm-hmm. other. And uh, here in Toronto, that is a big, big issue. Yeah. Uh, they have to have warming centers, which is different than Vancouver, um, because people freeze to death here. Yeah. And so that's something that's different. Um, the the budgets and how how funding goes, uh, where it's earmarked for, mm-hmm. is different than Vancouver. Right. And again, because the the city consciousness has different priorities. Yeah. So and it's dangerous. I mean, yeah, especially like this we, past winter, we had a yes. really bad winter. Oh yeah. And there there's actually a, a homeless lady in my neighborhood, and mm-hmm. she's pregnant, and she went through this whole winter. Yeah. Yeah. It's unbelievable. And I always, uh, I, I drive my husband crazy because uh, when we drive around, I drive all the time mm-hmm. in the city and uh, I keep baggies of things in my car because there's so many people at the yeah. intersections Yes, that yeah. are asking for change or something. I don't have change. Yeah. A lot of people have a debit card. Yeah. You know, it's, a, it's hard to have change now. Um, we deliberately go, you know, we were going every week and taking out money so that we have a $5 bill in mm-hmm. the car just in case or toonies or whatever. And uh, now I have bags of cookies that right. are individually yeah. wrapped. I did have Christmas oranges, but now they all went like yeah. rotten. So anyway, they had to go. But, well, I think, you know, I think too people like little as- associate homelessness almost with like mental health issue, which is a whole right. other. Yes. Uh, you know, issue on its own, but you, you just never know someone's... St- there was one time oh, yeah. I 
some, some a man asked me for change, and like, same thing. I don't carry change. That's I have, right. Like, I don't carry plastic does. now. Yeah. So I was like, well, I'm going to Tim Hortons if you want me to bring you a coffee. That's right. And like, I've never seen anyone so appreciative yes. of a coffee. And this guy, he was like in his 40s, looked like a normal sure. man, and yeah. he just had some. He started telling me, and he was just, it was just like some circumstance that oh, made yeah. him homeless it's for the time being, anyways. Absolutely. And, so, and, and it was nothing can, wrong with him. And, most people, most of us, live check to check. Mm-hmm. You know, it doesn't matter if you are Beyonce rich or if you yeah. are, you know, on the poverty line. Most people really live check yeah. to check. So you have a bad week and you are bad month. a car accident or an illness away from mm-hmm. you know getting evicted yeah. or losing your house. Well, even or, as we mentioned when yeah. before we started this, mm-hmm. how expensive it is to live in the city. Yes. Like just to pay fees Absolutely. and rent. It's yeah. you know if you get laid off. That's right. You know? Oh, absolutely. It's <laughs> yeah. unbelievable. And, uh, yeah, the, the, the haves and the have-nots, it's a big gap, and it's becoming wider every year. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. We, we, we got, that happens all the time on my podcast. We get sidetracked about, <laughs> about one thing or another. But um, going, I, one thing I, I wanted to go back, you mentioned about um, kind of when you first started in that era was kind of like the things you guys wore. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, actually, this just came to mind when I was driving down here. Mm-hmm. I was trying to think again my my first memories of of Biff Naked, and I think the imagery that always came to mind when I thought of Biff Naked was always the cover, the album cover from Super Beautiful Monster. Oh yes, and that, and particularly the outfit you were wearing in that. That's right. That's always kind of what I associated. So and funny. maybe it was just at that time, like I was. Sure. I was a little. I was about sixteen when that came right. out, so I could. Uh, I was, I think when your other albums came out, it was maybe about eight or something. So you don't mm-hmm. register that as much. But when I was about 16, I remember that is my visual. So uh, was that a very conscious, I guess that must have been a very conscious thing in that time, especially. Oh, absolutely. What you were, what you were what, attire and stuff. So what, what was your, when it came to fashion, what mm-hmm. was, what was your outlook or what were you looking for? Well, at the time, you know, like when we started um, playing shows in bands, even early on, the guys all took off their shirts because it was fucking hot. Mm -hmm. I mean, there was a venue in Halifax called the Marquee. Okay. Where if you put, uh, you know, 600 kids in there and they're doing, they've got a mosh pit going, you're doing, you're going nuts. Yeah. And there's so much sweat that condenses onto the ceiling mm-hmm. and it rains sweat yeah, on yeah. you. The microphone gets wet. You have sweat in your mouth. All the guys took their shirts off. So I think that kind of started um, a lot of the, the tough girls. They would either do their shows in the bra mm-hmm. or, or we would wear half tops, yeah. literally. And it was literally because it was so hot and also because it was like, well, this dude has his shirt off. Fuck right. you. Yeah, uh, yeah. So that kind of, that kind of was... Uh, the practicality behind okay. it because literally it was just hot. Mm-hmm. Um, eventually, I think that it was in a way, um, you know, my my kind of chicks were still really interested in Betty Page and in pinup okay. and in being right. provocative and, much, yeah. and, and in a way, you know, being being objectified and being sexualized was actually our conscious deliberation. Mm-hmm. It wasn't, you know, that that men ran the music right. industry or that my man manager said you gotta, you know, wear this slutty outfit or whatever. And 
it was really like you know part of what we uh, what we were doing deliberately. You know, we had, we were on skateboards, but we wanted to wear our bikinis and call ourselves the skate whores. Yeah. You know, that was something that we thought was cool. Yeah. There was no roller derby. Right. You know, and I think that now that's what that's roller it. derby is. Right. Okay. For people. They can be provocative and uh, not, not give a shit about mm-hmm. being slut shamed or body shamed or anything like that. And it's really empowering yeah. to kind of thumb your nose at everybody else. Yeah. And so that's kind of what you know, the original intention behind all of those little half tops were. Yeah. And I, I probably was the same thing for... Gwen Stefani and all those girls. I mean, Gwen would wear a black bra and a white right. wife beater, we called them. And now you can't call them that, by the way. Now it's just a white undershirt. Right, right. Um, but, you know, that was like, that was a deliberate thing that we yeah. we, we like to wear. You know, it's interesting, too, because I always get it about, or people say to me, or I hear people say when they hate when people post their gym photos or whatever. Right. And I'm like, well, you got to think about it from their perspective. That's right. And an artist who is like a painter, yeah. if he works 20 hours on a painting, is he not allowed to share that painting? That's right. Like show a photo of it? This, That's right. This guy has probably spent 10 hours in the gym getting That's those, right. this week alone, getting yeah. those abs to look like that. Why wouldn't he want to share it with exactly. people? Or this girl, you know yeah. what I mean? So. Yeah, like you got to look at it from their perspective. That's what they spend their time doing. So, and it's also it, there's a different there's a different pressure now. Mm-hmm. I think for artists, I wouldn't want to be a young artist today. I wouldn't want to be like a young person today. <laughs> no, I think that uh, it's hard to keep it in perspective. Yeah, because it is. we were on tour and we were like you know just poor musicians. Uh, I never had a computer. My mm-hmm. first computer was two thousand and six. Yeah, you know I didn't have a television. Uh, so I kind of missed out on a lot of the, I don't know, the Survivor shows or those right, reality right, right, right. shows, and um, I didn't, uh, I didn't really have, I, I didn't know who the Kardashians were because right. I never had yeah. television. Uh, but that has really uh, become something that represents the standard of beauty, especially mm-hmm. in the U.S. Oh, yeah. And, and uh, to be a young artist today, you have to compete. Or you feel that you have to compete yeah. with kind of that standard of beauty that these these girls mm-hmm. have, and that would be, I mean, I don't know, I don't know how you do Someone it. Someone told me recently that people are getting uh, like plastic surgery, yes, to make their face look better in selfies. Wild. Which because when you take a selfie, it actually doesn't look exactly like you because of the way the camera it's almost like a fish sure. eye right so yes. your face is almost disproportionate mm-hmm. so they're taking they're manipulating their face so in person they don't look as normal or like as right. as almost as beautiful because yes. they look better in selfies or, yes which is like it's like yeah it's, it's, it's crazy I, to even yeah, fathom that thought it's, yeah yeah it's funny so yeah um, I want to talk a little bit about your tattoos because mm-hmm. um, you've obviously got a lot and um they, I think you got your first one when you were a teenager, I read. So. I did. Yeah. And they, um, I read in like the description of your book and stuff that a lot of them kind of represent your life's journey. Oh, sure. I was, uh, because of my dad, I really think that I had a real obsession with theology. Okay. With religion. Okay. Um, being an adopted kid, I could only really identify with India. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, 
even though I'm a Caucasian kid, it was just the culture that roots. I yeah. identified with. So I was really into the gods and goddesses okay. of Hinduism. Mm-hmm. Um, when I was 18, I met a guy who was a Taoist. So I got interested in the Tao okay. and, and then started studying Buddhism. And then a lot of the punk bands we were listening to in New York, they were all Hare Krishnas. Mm. My favorite band was Shelter. Okay. It was a Hare Krishna band. Interesting. And so I was, you know, and that really resonated with me. Yeah. Uh, partly because of the connection to India, but also because of our yoga practice. Right. So it was just like, you know, it was just all my jam. Mm-hmm. I loved it all. Uh, I got a tattoo every year for my birthday. Which okay. Is how you still I, do that? Which is how I did it. Now I don't care. Okay. Now when was just, the last? What was the last time you got a tattoo? Uh, the last time I got a tattoo was last fall from Gregory. Oh, so it's still pretty recent. Yeah, and that's okay. at Imperial Tattoo here in Toronto. So shout out to Gregory. And yes, and if I <laughs> if I was a millionaire, I would go see him every yeah, month. Yeah. Um, but you know, I'm I'm never in a rush. I always say life is long. Yeah. yeah. Nowadays, I I see a lot of women. They have face face tattoos. They have tattoos all over their knuckles. Uh, when I started getting tattooed, there were signs in every parlor that mm-hmm. said "No hands, no face." Really? I mean, I didn't know that. They was, just uh, didn't do it because okay. it was jail shit. It was uh, people in jail right, who right, had right, tattoos right. like that. They wouldn't do faces. Yeah, and it was like no. Literally, there was always signs. Now it's popular. Yeah, and now I'm thinking, wow, this is actually anti-aging. Yeah, actually yeah. would be great if you could get like big tattoos of butterflies on your neck. Mm-hmm. You know, as a woman, you never have to do the Diane Keaton thing and wear, <laughs> wear scarves or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Same with hands. You know, you get I a big, never thought of it that get way. Get a big actually. cat face on yeah, your hands, yeah. and you never have those like liver spots or whatever people worry about. I don't know. I I get tattoos kind of now whenever I want. I collect my husband's um, doodles that he draws, and so I'll get those tattooed on me Mm -hmm. and then come home and surprise him with those. And uh, I I find that I'm a little more whimsical now, less serious. Okay. What are uh, some of the ones that have maybe the most... Uh, resonate with you the most now? I would say my dogs. So I had okay. these two dogs that finally they both croaked as, as you know, as happens in life. Nicholas was uh, 17 when he died. He died 30 days before I met my husband, who has the same personality. Uh, my dog hated everybody and bit people. Okay. Same as my husband. <laughs> uh, but so I used to cartoon draw them. So oh, I, yeah, yeah. There are drawings on me as okay. like my... Like, those are my favorite tattoos. Oh, wow. And uh, and I still, I mean, I always have an idea for a new tattoo, mm-hmm. and I always will. Whether I get it or not is different. Yeah. I would like my knees tattooed. I, I can see a lot of the, the Hindu ones. Oh, yeah. yeah. I have Ganesh, and uh, the recent one that I did with Gregory is this huge Ganesh oh, wow. here. Yeah. And Gregory is so amazing for his, uh, he's just kind of well known for the black work and the yes, mandalas yeah. that he does. and. Uh, my husband is getting um, a kiss tattoo. Okay. Uh, from Ronan Gibney, who which, runs which, Imperial. Which like one of the members, or what? What's all the of them. All of them. Yeah. Okay. I'll make sure that he shows you before yes. we leave. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. It's epic. That's cool. That's very cool. Do you have? Do you uh, visit India, or do you? I have before. Have? Okay. It's expensive to go, and I haven't expensive. gone in a long time. Um, the last time I went was like. I would say, honestly, it was at least probably yeah. 16 years ago. Oh, wow. But um, it was amazing. I went to 
uh, Mumbai. I went to Bangalore. I went to New Delhi. I went to Agra. You did the whole thing. It was amazing. And uh, India, you know, at the time that I went was my first time as an adult. So by this time, I'd already read everything that Arunhati Roy had written about India. And so I was very obsessed with the... The social classes there and the caste system, and uh, you know, I was you know armed with my uh, my repeated phrases. India is the greatest middle class in the world. The largest middle class in the world is India. You know, it's such an amazing okay. place. But you know, of course, the middle class is the shanty town. Yes, that's yeah. the middle. Yeah, and so when. You know, people that grew up in the West are unprepared. You cannot prepare yourself for that level of poverty Mm -hmm. that the third world will show you. And there's such a huge divide between. And it's just very daunting. It's, um, you know, the caste system still exists. And uh, to to go back there, you know, really uh, is something that to me is integral. I would like to take my husband to India with mm-hmm. me and go back. I would like to go back to the hospital I was born in. Mm-hmm. Which was um, in New Delhi? Yes, it was. Okay. And I've met people <clears throat> that were born in the same hospital as me. Really? Just random wow. people all over By the chance. world. Yeah. yeah, and it's just... The world works amazing. You know, it's just so fun. I would like to take my yoga teacher's training there. Okay. And, uh, you know, go to Mysore. And mm-hmm. I would like to go to Dharamsala. I mean... You know, bucket list yeah. things. I, I, so it's funny. We, I was in, I went to India mm. exactly a year ago. Oh, wow. I was in India this time last year. Oh, yeah, wow. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. yeah, it was cool. Amazing. It was, yeah. It was actually, I tell you, it was my mom, it was the top of my mom's bucket list. Incredible. And so she was like, will you go with me sometimes? So I was like, yeah, of oh, course. That's I took wonderful. my mom and we went. Oh my God. Yeah. Must have been we did so the northern amazing. part. So we did the, yeah. like the golden triangle. And, Beautiful. Yeah. Did you go to Amritsar? No, we did. Uh, Delhi, Agra, Jaipur, mm-hmm. but then we went over to Jodhpur and Udaipur. Wow. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. It was very, yeah. yeah. But like you said, you can't prepare no. for, and I mean, because especially, I, I, I travel a lot mm-hmm. and, um, I'm used to, but because I was with my mom, we hired like a driver yes. to take us around. That's and good. I was, I was like, even if I was here on my own, I don't think I could have managed this no. on my own. Like the way they, if you think they drive crazy here, oh, yeah. <laughs> it's like, there's no lights and there's no, no lights. And there's like wildlife on the road. That's and right. it's, yeah, it's, it's, and they just honk. Yeah, but honking is because I was like, is everyone just mad at each other? But honking's actually uh, a way of letting you know I'm passing. That's right. Yeah. It's wild. Yeah, it was, but just like I was even more than like going to the sites and stuff, I was Mm -hmm. more fascinated when we were traveling from one place to the other and just seeing how life like worked. Yes. It's incredible. But what I found the most incredible about India is when I told, is like obviously. There's a lot more poverty and the people have a lot less, but it doesn't mean they're unhappy or anything. They're more the pe- joyful. They're more. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I remember looking at people, they, they don't own anything, but they're just like, they're very, they're very happy. You can Absolutely. tell they're, they're joy. You're right. They're exactly. That's the perfect yeah. word. They're joyful. Absolutely. And maybe that's, maybe that's why, because they have. It's amazing. It's just, it is. You It's know, an amazing country. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's really cool that you guys went to. I would love to. It was take really cool, on. and people and yeah, it's funny because people and people here like when I, they're like, we have no idea what India is like or what what is it like, and no. it's like yeah, you have to experience it for yourself mm-hmm. to really 
yeah, to really get it. Definitely. Yeah. But I, like I think to go that's back. true about a lot of places. Like when you think of just the most, the, the places where people don't go, like mm-hmm. Kosovo. Yeah. Like, you know, like, I mean, anywhere. Like my manager and his wife who stay in the finest hotels on the planet all the time, are in love with Budapest. Yeah, yeah. You know, over Prague, over Paris. Yeah. And they're like, oh, you have to go. Like, yeah. yeah, it's just so interesting. And I keep saying to Snake, people, the world is so huge. It's huge and people are... I mean, naturally, I'm not saying people are... are dumb this way but people are small minded because sure. they only know what's around and it's That's not the, right. it's not their fault it's That's only right. they only know what they know yes. and um, I find it actually very um, sad especially you, you hear not so much in Canada because we're so multicultural but especially certain places like in southern states mm-hmm. where people don't even have passports because they no. never leave that's right and it's like that's so sad because it you're, never you're like depriving yourself of so yeah. much culture and oh yeah yeah but I mean there's so many like even Africa for example I, Eastern Africa I went to Eastern Africa you too did? yeah that's my bucket list yeah that I, this that was for me personally that was the best trip I've ever what been cities on. I went well I went to I went all around Kenya and Tanzania. Amazing. And I, like, as a photographer, mm-hmm. like, I, I we went on, imagine. like, a 13-day safari. Amazing. And, yeah, it was the most... Wow. Yeah, for, I think especially for me as a photographer, it was mm-hmm. the most... Because everything's natural, you know? Nothing yes. is... One of my one of my favorite stories that I tell people is um, we were at this... Uh, we pulled up to this lake mm-hmm. in the Serengeti, um, and there must have been about 300 hippopotamus in this lake. Unbelievable. And there was three dead ones that were like belly up. Mm. And there was a crocodile eating at, at the flesh. Mm-hmm. So this this other van pulls up with, uh, not a stereotype, with this blonde Ugh. girl. Right. And like it reeked because you could smell the oh, dead carcasses. Yeah. Yeah. And <laughs> all we could hear, my mom and I almost <laughs> passed out. All you could hear was... Oh my gosh! Isn't someone gonna clean this up? <laughs> oh my god! It's not so a zoo. funny, it's, right? It's the wild, like yeah. <laughs> the other animals will That's clean that up. Funny. Yeah. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, but uh, yeah, that was the most good. I would definitely recend it. Yeah. Yeah, that's where yeah. I really want to go. But also, also again, same with we went to a couple like local villages, mm-hmm. and um, actually, I want to tell you an amazing story. There was a guy. Um, <laughs> he was a so. Associated with the lodge I was staying at, mm. and he would come and take you to his local village, so you could experience oh, wow. the village. His name was Tepepe, oh. so shout out to Tepepe. Very cool. <laughs> um, and he was telling us because I had this question. We would always see when you we were out on the range, mm-hmm. like um, there'd be like a young boy escorting about, you know, like fifty cows. Wow. And we didn't know, we were assuming he was taking him for water or something. So right. we asked him, we're like, what is, what's the deal with this? And he goes, well, it's every, every village, um, it's every day one boy has a, the responsibility of taking the cows to the water to, to drink and then bring them back. But like the nearest water is like something like 10 miles away. Unbelievable. So every day it takes the entire day for someone to, and they're in charge of this herd. And I said, well, doesn't, doesn't animals attack the herd? Right. You know, like wouldn't lions want to eat a cow? Like, and he said, yeah, it happens. But, um, he said it happened to him when he was a a boy, when he was about 16. Wow. And he said, a lion attacked my herd. But for me, if I lose a cow or two cows or something, that's, on me, that's like our our that's food off our table. So he said he attacked the lion, 
And the lion, he had, he took off his robe and he had this scar. He had, wow. a, li- a lion literally bit him in the shoulder. Oh my god! And he had these teeth marks all around here. And wow. he said he took his his staff, a stick, and jabbed it in the the throat of the oh lion. Oh my goodness! And so then he became like, and then of course like an ambulance came and sure. took him to the hospital. But he became like a legend oh in the gosh. area. When he, he was sixteen, he was sixteen or seventeen, oh and he no. was dubbed uh, to Pepe the Lion Killer, pretty oh much. My gosh. And because of it, he was allowed two wives. Oh my so, gosh, yeah. that's hilarious. Yeah, yeah. That but so amazing funny. story, yeah. yeah. It's like, again, like, Remarkable. that's unfathomable to someone from yeah. Toronto, which, yes. like, you know, if you, you know, we're, if there's a raccoon on the street, you're like, get oh, away. Yeah. Like, yeah. It's so funny. Yeah, truth is stranger mm-hmm. than fiction. It's true. Mm-hmm. It's true. And the world's, it's such a massive, I was in Japan. Oh, wow. Years, and that's also amazing. another, completely other world over there. I can't imagine. Yeah. I've yeah. never been. Really? Never. That, that was top of my bucket list mm-hmm. until mm-hmm. January, but yeah. Interesting. Absolutely. It's fun. Yeah. Traveling is the spice of life. It is. It is. Um... One thing else I wanted to ask you about is when, have you always been straight edge or did you decide at a a certain time? I decided. I decided. Yeah. Okay. At a certain time. I was in my 20s. And prior to that, I was pretty much like an average middle class kid growing up in North America. I think I had a sip of beer when I was 12. Right. My parents never drank. They didn't keep any alcohol in their home. Mm -hmm. So, you know, my sisters and I, like every teenage kid... You know, found our way of into course, yeah. you know drinking beers under the bleachers with our friends at sports games or whatever the case, and I just nothing good ever happened to me if alcohol when? was involved. Okay, and uh, you know I never liked pot. I think I smoked pot in grade eight and fell asleep. And right. I was like, yeah, that I'm not doing that it's not again. For me. Yeah, it's not what I was into. Uh, never tried cocaine. Nothing like that, but I had a boyfriend who was a heroin user. Wow. Uh, And again, this is like in the early 90s, the Pacific Northwest, you know, all the the guys we were in bands with, you know, flirted with heroin and stuff Mm -hmm. like that. And uh, so I decided that that's the road I wanted to take with my boyfriend. And so I always say I flirted with heroin for about six months. And uh, it's funny because all the tricks that you use uh, to trick yourself not mm-hmm. to take responsibility for what you're doing. As long as I had him inject me, then uh, it was out of my hands, right, you know. Okay. And I think that that was uh, that's probably a common cop out okay. that uh, people have. And for whatever reason, in the fall of 1991, uh, there was one time where we got high and. Something just told me I can never do this again. Really? Not one time. Mm-hmm. I met the line in the sand. And if I go over the line and do it one more time, I will never come back. And mm. I knew that. Uh, I don't know if everyone has that moment or not, but I just knew that, you know, I had played around enough. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I never did it ever again. I was so afraid. I'd already Since OD'd. 90, 91. And, yeah, this wow. was the fall of 91. And... Uh, you know, after that, I think that I, you know, probably drank beer with my my girlfriends or, or when Chrome Dog, that was my second band, you know, we were on tour in California. You know, we got paid in Mickey's Big Mouth. Right, yeah. <laughs> Which were these baby jar size beers. And, you know, I remember stuff like that. It's funny and fun. Um, but it was like 1994, 1995 that I... 
uh, kind of met this girl named Gail Greenwood. Uh, and at the time, she was in a band called Belly in Rhode mm-hmm. Island. And we were introduced on the telephone uh, by this guy named Chai Pig, who was a singer for SNFU. And he said, you guys got to meet because she is like the American you. Okay. And you're the Canadian her. And you just have to talk. And we were instant friends. And at the time, we mailed letters back and forth to each other. And Gail had been a straight edge her whole life. Mm-hmm. She never had a, a cigarette mm-hmm. or a drop of alcohol because her older brother was a straight edge. And they were okay. all surfers from Rhode Island. Uh, eventually, she was in a band called L7. And yeah, yeah. L7 came on tour with Marilyn Manson to Vancouver. And I went to the show and, and met Gail. And prior to that, I had toured down in, in Providence and and met her there but really she was a huge influence on okay. me you know I knew that for me alcohol just wasn't going to fit in my life I wasn't good at it okay you know I was drunk on a teaspoon of beer yeah and uh, I was I don't know anyone who's good at being drunk and it's not that I was a mean drunk but bad shit always happened to me if One, I had alcohol yeah, right. usually always involve involve guys and uh, I just I just didn't want to do that I knew that if I was going to be a singer that didn't lose her voice and who worked hard, the alcohol couldn't be a part mm. of my job. And it, everyone else could drink all the beer. That was cool. But I was going to endeavor to be straight at Drake Gale. And it never, it never bothered you when you were... Because you, you've toured with... A whole bunch of bands. Never, that I'm sure just were. like just like being not eating meat. Everyone eats meat, right. not me. And everyone else drank, mm-hmm. not me. And it was no big. And deal. it never bothered you. No, interesting. Never. I always, I always like to question because I, I've, I've been straight edge my entire life. Really? Yes. That's so cool. Same with Gail. Yeah. Yeah. And um, so I always find it interesting, especially because mm-hmm. people always ask me, "Oh, doesn't it bother you when sure when other you know?" Because oh, my friends drink and stuff, right. it doesn't bother me. Of course, um, I'm so used to it now. Exactly. But, so I always find it interesting talking to other people, yeah. especially and find out you know if, if it's always that decision or if it, they made that decision. And oh yeah, yeah, it is interesting. And there was especially in the '90s, there was a real a tier level Mm -hmm. of straight edge and it changed depending on where you were geographically Mm -hmm. you know in Germany all the straight edge kids are vegetarians interesting and that was like you know that was like the law you know in Salt Lake City you know if you're straight edge Mm -hmm. some of those straight they don't drink coffee yeah also and I always said yeah but Henry Rollins drinks coffee or whatever my thing was um also, there's a, a, a great deal of, like, straight edges who will not associate with anyone who isn't. Yeah, right. And, and that that was a different thing. And uh, the same goes for vegetarianism and vegans. Right. There's a lot of vegans that are abolitionist vegans who will not tolerate yeah, anyone else that. around them right. that, you know, wear a leather jacket mm-hmm. or, you know, whatever the case for me, I think, again, it goes back to my parents and all those Gandhi right. teachings uh, about non-judgment. Mm-hmm. And so that that kind of always came into it with me. It was yeah. about just what I did for my body. It had nothing to do with anyone else, almost like a religion. Well, that's what I always, what I always say to people when, um, especially when it comes to no, no alcohol mm-hmm. in particular, as I always say, I think people often have, there's two misconceptions I mm-hmm. think people have about people who don't drink alcohol. And that's one is that, and, and it's probably, it comes from somewhere. Yeah. One that they're, they're judgmental if they don't right. drink because then they judge you for drinking, right. which 
you know, it, it, I, I Which think is them projecting I think their fear. Right, I think is a misconception. The other one is that they assume that you're boring or something. And you don't, right. you don't know how to have fun or right. whatever. You know, or that you're like, in AA. Yeah, or That's that. The other yes, one, yeah. or that you had a problem. Yeah, the first thing is, oh, did you have a crazy night? And right. That's, <laughs> that's right. Yeah. Um, but um, you never felt like when I know a lot of musicians often use that as a substance for being creative or something mm. uh, not alcohol but say marijuana right. or something yeah you never felt that was a, a necessity I never did it right you okay. know so it was never a part of how I mm-hmm. how I did things it's kind of I always say it's like tofu hot dogs you know we never when we didn't eat meat or anything we never started eating tofu yeah. hot dogs because they were there yeah you know, and same with like fake cheese. It's like I didn't eat cheese before. Right. So okay. You know, I'm gonna eat fake cheese now. So it's, to me, it's the same with cannabis and right. and cannabis oil. I know a lot of people who who say it's great. You know, for so many different things, mm-hmm. creatively, not just health reasons. Yeah. But yeah, I I think that it's fine Each, how I yeah, do things. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Yeah. I have no desire. Yeah. Um, okay, I want to quickly, before we wrap up, I want to talk about some of the other things that you're interested in, even outside of music, because you have so many other skills that I just found out about in the mm. last couple of days. Interesting. I didn't know that you were, uh, or I dabbled in comic cartooning. That's, I always drew and hand-lettered my own CD. Really? Artwork. Okay. And that was something that was really important to me from day one. Yeah. Uh, especially back in the day when we made CDs. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think the Ibificus CD was like 16-page booklet. Really? I got to put my cartoons on and hand-letter all the lyrics on and yeah. my thank-you list. You know, I you know, I did them so... It was such a deliberation for me to thank, like, the Montreal Canadiens, Jesus Christ, you know, Volvo Cars, Satan, Buddha, <laughs> you know, like, yeah. stuff like that and make it funny. Um, it was just really a part of what I did, and I never kept a journal. Yeah, but I this kept cartoon books yeah. of all the early tours, and I've never done anything with them. Um, you know, I also I used to think, oh, I'll just make a chat book sometime and sell them at the shows for a dollar or yeah, whatever. Yeah. And you know, it just never happened. You could start like a. Like a blog or a memoir of some right, sort, of just course. your doodles. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, was this a, a natural talent? Like you just and it's not really to a talent. It, All I really draw is this one stick girl with okay. like my haircut, you know, and that's about it. Yeah, yeah. But uh, I think that for me, what evolved from there was never the illustration ever. It was all the writing. Mm-hmm. It was. Oh, just, it was the writing. Of yeah, it. yeah. That was something that just always stuck with did me. Did you read? Like, were you growing up or something? Did you read? Yeah, comics I or did. Anything? I wasn't into comics or anything but mm-hmm. I was into poetry okay and so I was obsessed with that really flowery lyrical writing and uh, and I still am okay you know I just uh, I I was obsessed with it my father was uh, gave me all his old medical textbooks and all his old dental surgery yeah. textbooks uh, so I became obsessed with getting into medical school and I at one point had about 40 or 50 guides to the MCAT yeah uh, when we moved, I donated 465 books Okay. before we moved to Toronto because my book collection was so massive. Yeah. We couldn't physically move wow. it all. It would wow. have been too expensive. 
That's crazy. Mm-hmm. And then almost on the complete opposite end, I heard that you learned how to bare knuckle box. Oh, that's funny. Yeah. I think anyone it's can like, bare knuckle box. I'm a terrible boxer. Okay. Uh, because I don't like hitting people. Okay. That's the problem. So what made you decide to and like? I love problem? martial arts. Okay. And, uh, but and why then? Why then? Bare knuckle boxing because of the because of the romanticism I have with the. I guess that kind of underground mm-hmm. backyard fighting. Gotcha. Okay. And so it's more about the culture than it is about anything else. And ultimately, I'm romanticizing, you know, a criminal element. Okay. You know, just okay. like me being obsessed with Russian prison tattoos, right? Or, or something okay. like that. You know, it's it's the glamorization uh, of a criminal. Interesting element, which okay. I still have here. Like, Did you ever compete or anything like never, that? Okay, never, I was never, gonna say because I was like getting punched in the face oh, no, no, with no. a glove on oh, is yeah. bad enough. Like oh, yeah, the bare no. fist is yeah, like bare knuckle fighting, and it's also like a bit tongue in cheek too. Yes, because yeah. you know, I think I think every every person should be able to defend mm-hmm. themselves and, and take a self defense course. Um, but for me, it's of course about righting wrongs mm-hmm. more than anything else, and yeah, it's a it's a glamorization of uh, of violence. And do you still train or no? I don't. You don't do well, any training. Plus, when so. we moved here, I mean, you know, I don't have those same. There's there's one um, place on I think it's on Kipling called Extreme Couture. Okay. Uh, that's a a really respected mm-hmm. mixed martial oh, arts tons, gym. Uh, there's a ton of places yeah. in Toronto. Yeah. I learned Muay Thai here. Oh, you did? And, yeah. Where? Yeah. Um, there's a gym. It's one of the biggest ones called TKMT, mm. and uh, which is Toronto Kickboxing Muay Thai. I don't know where it is. And they have, I think they have three locations, mm. but there's one uptown where I live. Mm. And uh, yeah, it's great. It's great for your focus. Yes, it yeah, is. Yeah. yeah. I mean, if, if anyway, it's... You never hope that you never have to actually use it. Right. <laughs> yeah. No. Yeah. I like martial arts a lot. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, and then, are you still acting? Did you still do any acting? Or I, you know, I keep renewing my my membership to yeah. Actra. Actra. Yeah. And every year I go. Should I bought? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, and I think a lot of people do that. It's not like I go on auditions. It's yeah. Not that I, you know, so that's something you're necessarily pursuing. But, but I did a couple of feature films, and the first experience I ever had was so nurturing and and so wonderful. The cast and the crew, mm-hmm. uh, you know, from everyone from the principal talent down to the yeah. kind of the grips and the set deck. I mean, it was like they were great. And yeah, we, like I cried the day I left the set. Yeah, because like, it becomes a family. Yeah, and it was such a great experience yeah. for me. That's cool. Um, so I've done couple feature films and I really enjoyed it. I did a couple cameos on TV shows, but ultimately I always wanted to play a cop. Okay. And so that role never came up. <laughs> and I always uh, I whine because I always say Hugh Dillon got the job I wanted. Uh, I think he was in Flashpoint or something like that. Yeah. But, but with Canada and now how they're having the Amazon Studios here, Netflix Studios mm-hmm. here in Toronto, you never know. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, you just. I didn't. Never I didn't know. realize you had the theater background, so that's why I was yeah. curious how the acting came. Oh yeah, I thought I was gonna be an actress or a, oh really? Or a ballerina. Okay. I there was one thing that I pulled out. So I was like, well, that's so cool. And probably me, just because on top of being a big music geek, I was also a gamer growing up. Oh. And I didn't realize you did the voice in the SSX oh, yes. games. 
tricky. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Zoe. So as soon as I saw that, I was like, that's awesome. And yeah. I thought maybe voice work then maybe. Oh, I would because, love it. Because you're a yeah. musician, you know how to project yeah. your voice. And... I do the voicing for a lot of different radio stations. Oh, do you? And okay. I love doing that. But yeah, it would it would be lots of fun, I yeah. think, to do voice, that's voice cool. work for Did sure. Did you ever play the, the SSX games after to hear your own I voice? I did. And... You know, I was never good They're at hard. it. They were yeah, hard. They were hard. Really hard. And, uh, my husband plays yeah. a lot of games on his uh, PS whatever. Four. Yes, yeah. <laughs> and I've never even held the controller. Okay, it's just yeah, it's just not what I am into. So what was that experience? Was that the? Have you done voice work outside of that voice? Uh, I have, but nothing that difficult because okay. it's a difficult voice to do. It was like, yeah. you know, it's like, <laughs> and I lost my voice. Yeah. Afterwards, for about a good week. Yeah. Um, but it's you know it can if you do a character voice it can be very lucrative like uh, and it's also it, it's a hugely entertaining way to use your instrument. Mm-hmm. Um, my husband watches this show called F is for Family. Okay, yeah. For yeah. example, I don't know if you're familiar I've with it. I've heard of it. I don't know much about it, but yeah, I I've insist that you watch an okay. episode. Is it Netflix that, or? I think so. Okay. And it's, uh, I think his name is Bill Burr and Laura Burr. Oh, yeah, I do know the one. Yes, yeah, and of Laura course. Yes, yeah. is uh, one of the voices. I think Bill Burr wrote it. And it is, it is very, very funny. Yes, yeah. But every time I hear it, yeah. I all I can think about is Bill Burr's vocal cords. Right. Because when you're doing voice work, you are it's up here where yeah. you're reaching and a lot of the things that he's saying is like he's making an expletive or he's really using the voice in such a way yeah. that it, it, it's I mean, it would kill my throat. Yeah. It would. Even doing I did radio for 3 months doing morning radio mm-hmm. and I found that my voice was more compromised from doing that than, than singing. singing. Really? It was just a very different way because your resonance is, it's always yeah. up here. You know, it's just so different. It's just, but it's interesting and it's yeah. fun and it, it makes me. But I guess also, dude, I would just think something like, like you got to do noises of her like falling over and mm-hmm. stuff like that. <laughs> oh, yeah. I lost my voice. Yeah. Yeah. But it was lots of fun. And it's like, it's, that's got to be tricky to do without actually, you know, falling over yourself. You yes. Create yeah. that. It's very, yeah. it's very interesting work. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it is. There's a lot more that goes into it, I think, than people. Mm-hmm think absolutely uh, okay so we're gonna wrap up here but I, there was a couple of things I pulled off your Instagram recently that I mm. wanted so there was cool. there's one was the the Kiss concert yes so it's it's Snake that's the big the that's Kiss right. fan yeah um but so how you enjoyed the, was that your first Kiss concert very first Amazing. ever and so what did you think it was incredible it's I a, couldn't believe it he but also because of my relationship with my Man, mm-hmm. and he, I know he's a fan. Yeah, so it makes all yeah. I hear is kiss day and night constantly. Yeah. But to have him standing beside me, singing at the top of his lungs without any self consciousness, every fucking word yeah. of every fucking song was so endearing. Yeah, it was so cute and endearing. I just think. Wow! Now I just have to take him to see Fugazi. Okay. And then that's gonna be the other we'll way around. We'll be even. Yeah. You know. <laughs> yeah. Uh, amazing. And the other one was the um, 
the Trailer Bark Boys cruise, which you told me a little Amazing. bit before about getting sick. But what yeah. was, I can't even imagine what you do on the Trailer Park Boys Well, the first thing cruise. for me was being uh, added to the bill for yeah. one thing. Uh, for me, is always, if I'm the only female on something, whether it's a festival right. or anything, I have a sense, there's two things that happen for me that I don't think is even anyone intends for them to mm-hmm. happen, but they just naturally do. One is I feel a huge sense of pride and right. validity, uh, just as an artist, but also as a female. Mm-hmm. I never think about being a chick. I never think. Right. You know, I'm, I, I never think about it. But in a situation like that, I'll go, oh my gosh, I'm the only female. Mm-hmm. For me, that comes with a sense of responsibility, where I think, okay. You know, I'm not speaking for all women. I'm not here as a representative of all women. Uh, but it's still important to me. Mm-hmm. And um, and I, so I was really honored in that way. Um, and they're, you know, they're all from uh, from Halifax, which is a city I love. Uh, their, their cast and crew is all from Halifax. Their management is also. And it's just... You know, just working with those guys um, was just really wonderful. Mm-hmm. They're warm and funny. Their families were with them. Their wives okay. are warm and funny, yeah. and it was just really great. It was so a what great was, experience. So, what was your role on the on the cruise? I performed. You performed on yeah, the cruise. Yeah. So, okay. the band so they have played. a stage, and that's right. And okay. so, also Monster Truck. Oh, okay. Was a performer. Yeah. Uh, they had a number of comedians. Tom gotcha. Green was yeah. there. Steve Jessup. Um, it was just. Yeah, it was just really special. Did you do full band or an acoustic? Both. Oh, both. So cool. we did one acoustic show uh, and then uh, one full band show. Very and cool. it was just, yeah. And we also, I got to go see Monster Truck yeah. play. They're a cool you know, band. Three yeah. times. I got to see, we went and watched the Trailer Park Boys in their live show yeah. with all the stuff that they do. They've got Randy the Cheeseburger guy, you know, and yeah. his name is Pat. And, <laughs> you know, we got to see him and we... Yeah. You know, and also meet them, and and it was just, it was really special. It was like, uh, it it was unexpected and delightful. Yeah. And and they were just really great human beings. Very cool. Yeah, it was so fun. So are we going to get a chance to see you perform around Toronto anytime soon? I hope so. I think, like, last year we we performed... I think it was so twice. So in June we played at Cosmo Fest, which was in Richmond Hill, and that was with Big Rack uh, and a number of other bands. That's a cool build to me on too. It was fun. Um, and then in November we played at the Adelaide Hall. Which oh, was great amazing. venue! Yeah. And uh, we had a band with us on all of those dates. Was that with uh, Snake and Chain? In my or? Coma. No, it was in my coma. Was Snake and the Chain played the year before. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. And we played, uh, we didn't play in Toronto. We played, uh, yeah, across the West Coast and in the prairies and gotcha. stuff like that. Okay. Yeah. Well, the next time it happens, I want to know about it. Okay. So. <laughs> yes, you will. All right. Thank you very much, Biff Naked, for Thank being on our show. Thank you for coming over. Thank you for having me on your show. Adamantium.